Blog Talk Radio. Doug Kelly. Yeah, crank up the radio. Are you guys as excited as I am? Let's roll, America. There's a battle to be won. I want to welcome you to rehabilitation. Wake up, America. You're too young to die. This is where I stay tuned to find out what's happening. Let's roll, America. The good Lord's on our side. Now here's Doug. And good morning to you. Welcome in to our program here at iDoug Radio, Blog Talk Radio, and also uh, iTunes. Good to be with you this morning as we discuss and recap some of the events of Wednesday, including last night's uh, uh, day three at the Democrat National Convention, President Obama's speech. Uh, We had the vice presidential nominee, Tim Kaine, uh, making his speech last night. Joe Biden was uh, on stage, but much of the discussion during the day and even during uh, some of the uh, the prime time of the Democrat convention was more about comments that Donald Trump had made during, uh, well, there were three different news conferences yesterday that he gave in some of his uh, stops around the country. But mostly it's centered on comments that he made about Russia and about the hacking of uh, Hillary Clinton's emails and uh, the furor from the media has been rather constant. The Democrats jumped on this yesterday, saying this was somewhat treasonous, that Trump was uh, proposing that a Russian government get involved in a presidential election, that uh, he was advocating that Russia hack into our uh, into our servers and uh, sensitive information. I, you know, the one thing that struck me about that is it doesn't really matter if Trump were advocating it or not. The Russians are trying to do it if they haven't, uh, haven't done it already. Uh, nothing that Trump said yesterday would have changed anything about whatever the Russians are doing. The fact that Trump... <laughs> made his comments, which he later said were sarcastic and meant to be a joke, um, doesn't change anything the Russians are doing. You know, have a presidential candidate somehow advocate that Russia hack into the emails. What he said was that if Russia had Hillary Clinton's 30,000 emails that were deleted off her server, not turned over to federal authorities, as should have happened as part of the investigation in the uh, the email scandal of Hillary Clinton, that uh, they ought to go ahead and release them. That's what he said. And so the media, of course, jumped right on this. Uh, as you might expect, some of the predictable comments from Democrats uh, sort of followed suit. Some were calling it treasonous. You had Leon Panetta make some comments. You had, uh, there, were, there were dozens of Democrats jumping on this last night. And, of course, the willing accomplices in the national and mainstream media went uh, right for this. Now, should Trump have said that? Not necessarily. Nothing really to be gained by doing so. This is part of the -the off-the-cuff remarks that Donald Trump makes that, quite frankly, many who happen to follow Donald Trump and are big fans of Trump, they like some of this. Uh, He's turning everything upside down. They like that. There's no question that uh, this is part of the uh, process for Donald Trump that has gained him some uh, popularity. Now, whether that will carry him through, I don't know, especially in a serious time that we're dealing with uh, terrorism. And dealing with uh, the possibility that some sensitive information that went across a server by Hillary Clinton was actually hacked into. But who's really at fault in all of this, right? Why would uh, any comment that Trump made yesterday have any validity at all uh, dealing with these emails? It was because Hillary Clinton put herself in the situation of having this private server, America's national security secrets crossing this server into the server. It was not protected well enough. 
And that's the only reason that he could even say any of this. But there was no focus on that as part of the uh, the criticism and the discussion yesterday. So Trump is starting to, I think, hit uh, – what's the uh, – well, he's looking at – he's starting to run into the mainstream media for what they are. We've always said on this program and others that the mainstream media, while, yeah, they were out there sort of promoting Trump a bit during the campaign of the primary season against the other Republicans, <clears throat> but uh, they would return home to their historical sort of birthplace <laughs> known as the Democrat Party. When it came down to the kind of media coverage that Trump got from the primary season when he announced until he got the, uh, the nomination versus the kind of coverage he's going to get from now until Election Day in November is going to be, I think, remarkably different. And uh, perhaps yesterday in the comments that he made and how it sort of uh, uh, went viral when, and was everywhere may have something, you know, maybe sort of the beginning and maybe indicative of what we're going to see from now on. Whether Trump realizes that, I don't know. I've said this for a long time that I hope he's ready because the onslaught is about to begin. You cannot underestimate the Clinton political machine. You know, what happened with uh, Bernie Sanders was just sort of, uh, that was a child's play <laughs> on the way they dealt with that and using their power within the Democrat National Committee. That was just easy stuff. Now, now we're into the presidential race, and we will be fully into it after tonight's Hillary Clinton speech. And, uh, and, and then there's uh, nothing to be stopping uh, some of the criticism of Trump and some of the, you know, the, uh, the ads and this kind of thing. So that's, Trump may have actually got, um, you know, a part of that yesterday. And what he thought was simply an off-the-cuff remark that uh, he thought was kind of funny. After all, if Russia does have the emails, it would be nice to see them, because if they've got them already, not, they don't have to hack into them to get them now. So, uh, But that kind of remark all of a sudden became not only national news, but uh, the, the major criticism. It was something that the Democrats could really jump in and pile on about. And this is, I think, only the beginning for Donald Trump in this kind of criticism. No longer will he get some of the, uh, the, the favorable coverage uh, by the national news media. I think that is, um, that's something we've got to keep in mind. It's, it's really, how far can Trump go with this? Who really knows? Will Trump be able to um, um, take this to his advantage? I would not doubt it one bit. But I think the idea that Trump said anything treasonous yesterday was simply ridiculous and was a typical sort of of the media mantra that uh, that we are going to have come to expect and are going to expect, I think, when it comes to some of the uh, uh, the whole campaign. Just wait and see. The Clinton political machine is one that cannot be ignored. I think there's a um, there's a feeling that maybe something is different because. Donald Trump is running. He's blowing up the system. And Hillary Clinton, uh, the old guard, the old system, that doesn't work anymore. Well, we'll see. Because there probably in the last 30, 40 years has not been a political machine like, uh, like the Clinton machine. And last night you saw President Obama turn over the, the, the way it's being described this morning. It was the, uh, the handing of the baton to Hillary Clinton last night. Uh, that it was somehow the, um, you know, she's the most qualified person, even more, I think Obama said, than himself when he ran and Bill Clinton to be president. 
Well, the American people will make that decision at some point. Uh, Doug Graham and uh, Neil McCabe are going to join me here on the uh, the program. You're welcome to dial in, too, at 646-716-9091. And uh, we've got some on the line here from the area code 571. Go ahead. You're on with me this morning. How are you? It's actually Doug Graham. I'm calling Okay, Doug, line. I didn't know. I wasn't sure uh, that that was you. So good to have you on the program here. Yes, well, I'd be happy to sort of be a witness to the passing of the scepter uh, from from the royalty of, of Barack Obama to Her Royal Highness uh, uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Well, and, you know, uh, I was saying that the, the political machine of the Clintons still well, uh, sort of well-oiled, I would say. They're still there, aren't they? Oh, yes, and well-oiled with a lot of foreign money. I mean, again, it, it's very rich, and I wish the Republicans would push back, is, is they're upset that that uh, Trump jokingly said, well, it, since you've already hacked her email, why not uh, you know, share the, the we deleted to avoid the law with us? And, and, and people forget that Barack Obama himself told a foreign adversary that just, just hold off on this stuff until I get re- elected for my second term, and then I can give you more room. I have more room to maneuver to give you what you want. And, uh, and that's Barack Obama. So, so, but again, the Democrats are very quick to call treason on people that, you know, for example, uh, when the Senate reminded the Ayatollahs that the, the deal that Obama signed with them isn't set in concrete because it has not been approved by the people's, you know, the Congress, then, uh, then they, people were screaming at them, especially Tom Cotton, that how dare you, you guys are treason, it's treason, you guys are undercutting our president. And so, again, it's this sort of stuff. The problem is, is that for a lot of morons out there, this sinks in, and they think it's a fact because they heard a Scott Pelley say it, and they heard uh, you know, various other media types repeat the Clinton talking points. No, uh, yeah, you're I do right. hope Trump is able to break through, though. Yeah, I do, too. Again, last night, or, or the comments that he made yesterday, like you just pointed out, in this news conference, we're really not that uh, that severe of any nature. But now he's in the environment where the media is no longer going to be his friend. You and I have chatted about this a number of times. They're, they've returned home now, haven't they? They're back to the Democrat Party now. Yeah, well, because it's no longer a, a fight amongst left-wing Democrats as there was between Bernie and Hillary. So now they're closing ranks, and they're going to just go after the enemy, and that happens to be the average American uh, person who's their enemy, as well as the Republican Party. And so it's going to be a lot harder for Trump to break through this wall of lies and deceit. But it, it, he's got to. He's got no choice if he really hopes to win. Let me remind people that Doug Graham, uh, former speechwriter in the Bush administration, worked for the Secretary, Secretary of Labor. Also, he uh, has uh, handled jobs uh, for members of Congress and the U.S. Senate. Uh, Doug, a number of things I want to ask you about. What, what was your take on uh, Tim Kaine, the senator from Virginia, the VP nominee, speaking so much in Spanish last night? I didn't think that was very helpful, but what did, what did you think? Uh, obviously, it was aimed at the Hispanic uh, vote out there. Well, you've got to remember that this administration not only doesn't care about, let's say, white working-class Americans, they don't like them. And so, uh, and, and so, and so, what their 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 tactic is basically this: we're going to keep a sense of racial outrage going, because what we want to do is have the insane monolithic vote for Hillary from the black community that we had for uh, Barack Obama. 
and, and they know in their hearts that it's going to be a lot harder to gin up black votes for somebody who's not black. Now, of course, some might say, oh, my gosh, that's kind of race, race-based voting, but that's what the Democrats want. And that's why yeah. they've been painting Trump every, every time they can is, oh, this guy hates Hispanics. It's not really true. And I, I think they're going to find to their surprise that a lot of blacks who are getting tired by killing other blacks or might just secretly vote for Trump because they, they do want a little law and order and because they're tired of losing jobs to, to illegal immigrants. And likewise, Hispanics who've been in this country and who are here legally are probably a little tired of losing jobs and competing with uh, illegal aliens themselves. Doug, did you get uh, or did you hear the comment that Nancy Pelosi made in an interview that she did last night where she was talking about how uh, people in middle America basically don't vote uh, their best interest because of uh, I think it was uh, because of guns, gays and God. Did you hear that comment? Uh, once again, talking down to middle America out there. Well, yeah, but I mean, but, but, but that's what they always say. Whenever whenever the Republicans or conservatives win, it's always an irrational temper tantrum. It's always driven by irrational fear stoked by those horrible Republicans. It's also because they're too stupid to vote for what they like. And again, for Nancy Pelosi, who is, is you know, as corrupt as the day is long and, uh, you know, and, and who really despises average Americans, uh, it's certainly not in her best interest for, for the average working American to vote for the working American's interest because she, she and her corrupt, weasel husband – they're they're so far removed from people who actually earn an honest living that they it's it's like speaking to them in Sanskrit. They don't understand it, and 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 most of them, most of the Democrats, they don't like the basic Christian God. They're okay with Allah, and maybe Buddha, but but they really really have a burn under their saddle when it comes to Christianity. And just remember, last year, I mean, at the last Democrat National Convention, they booed when somebody brought up God. That's true, and even this convention, uh, the invocation, uh, the opening night, was there was booze in the crowd. Oh, yeah, um, and, and no American flags until somebody brought it up. Right, yeah. It was all over social media after night one. Where are the American flags? There was a Soviet flag shown. There was a Palestinian flag uh, that was shown in the crowd, but no American flags. But all of a sudden, they, uh, they showed up the next night. What about, uh, you mentioned that they don't care about, uh, you know, the regular America, so Tim Kaine speaking Spanish is okay with them. This is where the country's going, right? I mean, we're becoming bilingual. Um, it's going to be not uh, just a novelty like Tim Kaine last night. It's going to be a necessity if we continue the direction that we're going. Well, what the, what, where the Democrats are taking America is in the direction of Yugoslavia. Yeah, all, all this race-based ethnic identity stuff where you can't talk to me if, if I'm transgender, gay, whatever. You, know, you, I, you have nothing to say to me if you're white, you know. All if you say all lives matter, that's a racial aggression. That's uh, and they're pitching for the Hispanics. Now, dividing everybody up can sort of work against when you have a large enough single and 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 fairly passive and easygoing majority like you had when whites were eighty five percent of the country. But when you start dividing everybody with, up with this level level of hatred, where you know if you talk to most high school kids, they don't even know that hit you know. Blacks sold blacks into slavery to the Europeans, and that slavery is practiced all around the world, and Christianity is the only religion that actually led to its abolition. But but they're bred to hate the country. They're bred whites are, are either taught to hate themselves and loathe themselves for their whiteness, or or everybody else is taught to hate them because somehow whites are the ones who caused all the problems. And so you know, 
as well as you know, invent all sorts of things that everybody takes for granted, like cell phones and radio. But but the problem is is now you know what happens when after feeding a country this poison for for all this time you start getting attacks and just like we had with the the assassination attacks on the police and it doesn't end well all you have to do is look at Bosnia Herzegovina Kosovo what all, all these places that used to be in in Yugoslavia and all of those people used to sort of live together and now they're sort of warring in you know countries that are at odds with each other. They could do that to this country. Yeah, I think there is, uh, you know, at times the term Balkanization of America, um, where the Baltic states, and you mentioned about Yugoslavia, which is not a nation any longer, right? It broke up in all these uh, various states. I think there's a, uh, or countries, I mean, there, there is a, uh, a concern, right, among conservatives and Democrats about the two candidates that are at the top of the ticket. I mean, you look at these unfavorable ratings. Wow, I mean, you're in the uh, plus 50 plus percent for both candidates, uh, are not liked in this country. That I don't know that we've ever had it quite that way, have we? I mean, we usually have one candidate maybe doesn't have high favorability, but both candidates? Well, although it's for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because, again, most of Trump's obnoxiousness and traits most people don't like, and you wouldn't want somebody like that in your living room. But everybody sort of knows it, and most people factored it in. The problem with Hillary is the more you get to know her, the more you get to loathe her, unless you've decided she's got two ovaries. That makes her the most awesome person in the world, and she ought to be president. And so this is the problem. The Democrats are fostering so much hate about Trump that he needs Trump really needs to worry about an assassination attempt. Hillary just has to worry that somebody's going to splash some water on her. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right, the the – the women card, I guess is the way to put it, is really being played here. The, we broke the glass ceiling, you know, or something. We put a big crack in it. Um, the, there's going to be some of that. I mean, uh, the historical uh, nature of her campaign, right, that it could be the first female to, to sit in the Oval Office. That's, um, that may be her strongest argument. But it's her only argument. Against Bernie, you know, Bernie Sanders, who's a you know, card-carrying left-wing you know, socialist, uh, he's at least honest about his goals, unlike Hillary. Well, when, when he was beating her, in addition to rigging everything against him, they assailed his supporters because they had to be sexist, because they had to hate women. You know, just the same way I remember how Barack Obama trashed Geraldine Ferraro, who again had sort of impeccable left-wing you know, credentials, as a racist pig because she dared support Hillary over Barack Obama. And, and they also slimed uh, – Bill Clinton, you know, America's first black president, I recall, and, uh, <laughs> and for being a horrible racist. You know, that's and, true. And that's what um, happens with identity politics. Yeah, exactly. You're either with us or you're not, right? I mean, that's sort of where we are. Um, Bill Clinton talked about Hillary Clinton uh, the other night. Do you ever remember a, a presidential candidate needing a character witness? That's the way the media kept describing Bill Clinton's speech, right, that he was a character witness Hillary Clinton, which I find somewhat ironic and rather humorous anyway, that Bill Clinton could be anybody's character witness. But that was the way it was being described. Well, what, what it's saying is, I guess I'm such a sociopath that this woman's so wonderful and I'm so in love with her. But, uh, hey, there's Monica with the song. I'll see you later, darling. I mean, it's you know, come on. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, I think there is, too, a part where really, Doug, when you think about it, there was so much uh, said by Bill Clinton. People wondering, where is that Hillary, right? Yeah, exactly. I, and and uh, I mean, it's so phony. But, you know, there are a lot of people who are going to lap it up. 
But I do think the more they hear that grating, horrible voice and mechanical, and the more the information comes out, although, although I noticed that we're going to have another fix from the FBI uh, where they, they've, they basically sent over the, uh, Clinton diminished, the, the Clinton Foundation, they've referred it to the FBI, which is kind of like referring a sort of a traffic ticket to my cousin on the police force. <laughs> One other thing before I let you go, uh, Chelsea uh, said uh, last night that she's willing to meet with Ivanka Trump uh, to discuss the tone of this campaign. What do you make of that? So Ambassador Chelsea wants to meet Ivanka to somehow soften the tone of the campaign. Uh, well, that'll certainly be a case of Beauty and the Beast, and you can figure out who I'm talking about. Oh, wow, that sounds uh, like a Trump tweet. <laughs> I know it should be, but anyway, uh, yeah, we'll see how that works out. All right, Doug, thank you so much. Great having you on again this morning. Get your take from last night. My pleasure. Take care. All right, Doug Graham joining us here, former speechwriter in the Bush administration for the Secretary of Labor, a cabinet position. Doug, of course, worked for... Saxby Chambliss uh, is U.S. Senator uh, down in uh, Georgia, also Kay Bailey Hutchinson in Texas, and he's worked for members of Congress and such, um, and it's good to get his take. We're going to talk to Neil McCabe at Breitbart.com and get his take on last night's Democrat uh, convention and President Obama's, as the media is calling it, handing the baton to Hillary Clinton. Uh, Neil, thank you for coming on and getting your thoughts on the air this morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Doug. Great to be with you. What do you think? Uh that the America that Obama was talking about last night is that uh, is that the America that you see? Yeah, I I, I don't live in that country. It sounds great. Um, it uh, I, I think I think Obama did what he had to do, and it was really there was nothing really new. Um, he was a little bit more vicious to Trump. I think Biden did what he usually does. That sort of uh, swarmy cornball, uh, you know, active is. I think the big thing of the night was that Tim Kaine was so horrible. Yeah. Just so horrible <laughs> and boring. And, you know, it's it basically, I, I wasn't sure what he was saying in Spanish, but I think in English he was reading his LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Yeah, it was like going from sentence to sentence, right, about uh, something. Oh, yeah, let me tell you this as well. And then uh, the only Spanish that I could come up with I thought was appropriate for Senator Kane's performance was Hasta la Vista. Let's get him out of here as quickly <laughs> as we can, right? Uh, or uh, was it a caramba? Maybe that's another one we should have used. I, I, yeah, I don't know. It was um, – what do you think about that? The, uh, a person running for the second highest office in this country speaking so much Spanish last night. Um, it was irritating – to me, but uh, how did you see it? Yeah, it was um, it was because it reminded people, right, that there were actually Spanish people who were considered for that slot, and that but Hillary went with this guy instead. So it's it's almost like you know it just it's just sort of so much of the the bigotry that the Democrats describe. They're actually describing sort of the way they see the world, and according to their emails, the way they actually behave. And when they when they uh, when they just sort of describe Republican behavior and conservatives and Republicans, I don't know if you feel this way, Doug, but a lot of times, you know, they'll come at me for something, 
And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even think like that. What are you talking about? Like, why are you accusing me of something that I've never even contemplated? But now, it, but this is the way they think, and so they assume everyone thinks that way. So we're going to go with the white guy who speaks Spanish instead of someone who's actually Spanish Spanish. And so, it, oh, that, that it, I'm just, I'm just, I, forgive me, Doug. I'm just so obsessed by this speech last night. Oh, it was so pathetic. It really was. I didn't expect him to introduce all 5,000 delegates who were sitting there. I mean, it's just (laughs) like, oh, hey, there's Sally. Sally from the uh, PTO. Hey, how are you? (laughs) I can't really compare it to anything I've seen. Um, I didn't know much about Tim Kaine at all. Now, apparently Donald Trump didn't know who Tim Kaine was yesterday. In one of his news conferences, he kept referring to him as the former governor of New Jersey and what a lousy governor he was. Uh, but he, uh, and he was a former governor of Virginia and, uh, and now senator. But, um, yeah, I just – it was pathetic and um, disjointed. I don't know exactly what the point of his speech was, but you're right. It was sort of like reading down your resume, right? Oh, by the way, did you hear I also used to do this? Um, yeah, I, I used well, to hunt and fish with I the Duck Dynasty say, people too, or that kind of thing. Tom uh, – Tom Keene, uh, fairly liberal Republican, but when he was the governor of New Jersey, but he had that great line. I think it was um, either 84 or 88 Republican convention where he said uh, he was talking about, you know, the way the Democrats, you know, they were talking about the Democrats. And he says, hey, and he looks at the camera, he says, hey, this country was this country was founded by religious zealots and gun nuts. And I thought that was a great line. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, at least he recognized great line. Right? I forgive Tom Kane for anything he, he did, he ever did. It's like it was, but Tom Kane uh, was chosen, uh, you know, because he was a safe choice, because he could speak Spanish, and it was really it was a choice that betrays their concerns and anxieties. And if, if Hillary Clinton's internal polls showed her up by 10 points and winning the way she is supposed to be winning, if she's supposedly a shoe in the way they keep telling us she's a shoe in, they would not pick Tom King. And, uh, and so, you know, and so there we are. And she, and she's also sort of – she is not really interested in someone who is going to outshine her. And I think this betrays another sort of vulnerability of hers that if she was to pick one of these uh, sort of younger, more energetic uh, choices or even Elizabeth Warren – you know, Hillary Clinton was concerned that she would no longer be the story. What Hillary Clinton did not, the headline that Hillary Clinton did not want was, hey, why isn't this guy on top of the ticket? Why isn't Elizabeth Warren on top of the ticket? Why are we stuck with Hillary Clinton? So Hillary Clinton has Tom Kane that she can sort of drag around and wind up, push in front of an audience, and then he does his routine. But everybody sort of says to themselves, wow, uh, I guess Hillary should be the president. And this guy, I guess he'll be sort of like, 
the goofy guy who runs the coffee mess and makes sure yeah. there's donuts for the meeting. Well, you know, you and I uh, thought it was a pathetic speech and boring <clears throat> beyond uh, beyond tears. And so did much of what I read, you know, social media and, and everything. Uh, but then Dana Perino comes on right after the uh, the speech and talked about how great it was. <laughs> yeah, it's just so. But you see, how does a that lot happen? of times, well, I think what happens is, you know, we don't know this and I don't know this, but it could very well be that she knows the guy who wrote the speech. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because that guy should be fired, like, right? I mean, uh, it was but, so bad. You know, it's like, yeah. but if, but if, if her kids are on the same soccer team as his kids, <laughs> you know, it's, and unfortunately, you know, I, the I was way saying Washington last night works. That, yeah, I was saying that he really should have plagiarized from uh, Michelle Obama's speech <laughs> to make it better. <laughs> okay, uh, that would have been at least one way to. to yeah. At the risk of repeating myself, um, sure. I thought it was really funny that the day after Melania Trump's speech, the Washington Post uh, ran an article where they interviewed speech-writing college professors, and they all said that if Melania Trump had turned in that speech, they would have given her an F, and it was just <laughs> – and I was thinking to myself, you know, obviously – this speech, this this article, was a pre-written hit piece that was going to run. You no know, I mean, she could have read the phone book. She could have mm-hmm. read Shakespeare. It didn't matter what they. This this Washington Post hit piece was already read. You know, all set to go. Uh, but it, I guess it didn't occur to the reporter or the editors that that most of the speech was going to be from Michelle Obama, and so. <laughs> So it's just bizarre to me that this yeah. is the first time that the Washington Post has ever criticized Michelle Obama. That is pretty funny when you think about it. Uh, all right, one I got before you go, I got to get your thoughts about yeah, yeah. Trump's Russia comment yesterday. Any thoughts? The way the media is reacting to this? I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Um, I, I was listening to some of the different pundits last night, I, and uh, you know they're saying, well. You know, either he's it's like how it's like, how can he deny that he directly asked the Russian government to do this? I thought it was a joke. And I know Tom Cotton basically told the same joke three weeks ago. I know a lot of people have been telling the exact same joke. It's just that when Trump tells the same joke, uh, I mean, it's like, who doesn't It's like you've heard this joke among people. It's like, hey. Maybe the FBI can get the emails from the Russians. Right. I guess that when, when Trump says it, all of a sudden it is, a, it is evidence of a dark conspiracy that he's actually being put up by Putin. And it's like – but it, I think what it does once again is that the Democrats betray how they see the world. So when, when the Tea Party movement started – in uh, 2009 and 2010, they said, oh, this is AstroTurf. This is fake. These people are being paid or, or whatever. It's like, no, but the Democrats, they assume, that's what the Democrats do. And so they just assume everyone else does it. And so when the, when the Democrats jump on taking foreign money or direction from foreign governments, yeah, that's what they do. That's what the Clinton administration 
was all about. I mean, China and uh, Iran, and they took all the money from Pakistan and India, and that's why we really, that's why we let them buy the supercomputers that they used to build nuclear bombs that now threaten stability of that subcontinent. I mean, it's uh, it's so it's it's, it, it's always fun to me when the Democrats accuse Republicans of things that they do themselves. And sometimes we don't even know they do it themselves until they accuse the Republicans of something. And they think, wow, that's how it works. It's sort of like, they, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say you're right on target. I'm thinking about uh, this, all this uh, dust up about the, the Russian comment, but yet, you know, and it's been detailed in that book, Clinton Cash, where the global foundation of the Clintons, uh, thanks to some help by Hillary Clinton, helped the Russians get our uranium mines in this country. And yet the media never has really reported on that or focused on it at all. Well, absolutely not. And John Podesta, his company got, you know, $180,000 for helping to broker that that uranium mining deal for the Russians. And so... This is completely ignored. I mean, we've had book, obviously, uh, Juanita Broderick uh, has stepped forward and said, why isn't anyone talking about the fact that this man raped me in the Camelot Hotel in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1978? Uh, Sally Miller, the former Miss Arkansas, uh, has been very public about her affair with Bill Clinton and uh, his use of uh, cocaine and his different comments about about Hillary completely ignored. Uh, there was a Secret Service agent um, uh, who Jerry uh, Jerry Byrne, who basically waited for his retirement from the Secret Service and then wrote a book about what happened in you know with Monica Lewinsky because he was the Secret Service officer who manned the desk in front of the Oval Office, and he's the one who would have to wave her in and out. And he saw what was going on, and he was the guy who helped the Filipino uh, Navy uh, chief petty officer, uh, who was sort of like the, the, the chief steward to the, uh, to the president. He's the one who helped clean up the mess uh, in the Oval Office, after after Clinton and Monica, and he wrote this in a book, and he was trying. The networks wouldn't even book him for interviews, and yet one person, like I think a landscaper uh, who used to work for Trump, had a complaint. This was on all the networks, right? And um, well, in fact, I think so, what happened to the uh, the Secret Service agents, what happened to Gary Aldridge, who uh, was with the FBI back then, and wrote a book in the nineties about uh, the Clintons and what was going on. And uh, the uh, the Clinton machine did everything they could uh, to keep him off network television. And, uh, it you know, they were fairly successful. They didn't they didn't keep him off entirely, but a lot of the uh, the shows, uh, like some of the morning uh, network TV shows, he would, you know, had interviews scheduled and they were canceled. There's various ways they can use their, their leverage. You're not going to get any interviews from us. You're Absolutely. not going to do this or whatever. And that's probably what happened here, because there were a number of stories out there that, that the Clintons were doing everything they could to make sure this guy did not get any airtime. Yeah, and, it's, uh, and that's just sort of the way it goes. And uh, it's the world we live in. And, you know, it would be interesting to see how things play out with Fox News this election cycle, because, you know, Roger Ailes was taken out. And maybe, 
you know, maybe the th- if, if, if it's true, he did the things that he was accused of doing, he should be fired. He should probably be in jail. If, if he did some of the things he's accused of doing, he absolutely should go to jail. But it has not been missed on me that Fox News, the reliable conservative outlet that it used to be, is not that now. And, you know, they, the Murdochs have said there are going to be no changes, but already you can see those changes sort of seeping through as ambitious professionals working at Fox sort of set themselves up for what the new realities they are going to be. And so, you know, let's see. Let's see if those news, if those things, you know, if those stories get the publicity that they're supposed to get. I know on Breitbart, we, you know, we push things out. Uh, we have a great documentary called Clinton Cash, which uh, you can view on our website. And uh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be put out in other channels and other websites. Uh, you know, we're doing what we can do but you can only do so much. I mean, your show is, is helping a great deal. I know you've got a tremendous following. Uh, you know, we just have to sort of get the word out. Yeah, you're right. We really do. It, it, the thing is that, uh, unfortunately, the, the people that you're trying to reach, more times than not, with the, especially the, the way the environment is these days, they're not watching some of the programs, you know, uh, uh, that, uh, that provide this information. It, it, social media may be the only way to reach them, like you're talking about. Uh, they might uh, click on the documentary, Clinton Cash, if they come across it in a, in a social media environment. They're, they're not, um, you know, people don't sit and watch the nightly news any longer. Some people watch cable well, news, that's true, but it's still a, a small portion probably overall of the American population. Where do you think the Americans are getting their news these days? Neil, it's got to be Internet, right? Well, I mean, they said that the ratings were down for uh, the for uh, Trump's acceptance speech, but I watched Trump's accept, acceptance speech online. I, I wasn't yeah. even watching it on cable. Uh, so forget forget over the air TV, and you know I've That's I've watched about. things yeah. on my I've watched things on my phone, and so it's. It's a brave Maybe we've got to do a better job of just uh, and, and some of the outlets are doing this. I know you you follow you 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 know will uh, will forward something and uh, and and so do I. But maybe that's it. We've got to talk in those kind of segments and those uh, quick um, <laughs> quick hits or whatever to get the the message out. Because you're right, that's where people are. They're on their phones, on their computers, uh, their tablets. And uh, they're not, uh, I mean, uh, this story every day. I think Dish lost like 280,000 of their subscribers where people are cutting the cord. That's the, the term that is used here. And basically they're saying, okay, I'll just, I'll get stuff for free and I'll get it off the Internet. Well, yeah, and I think that when, they, when people say, you know, Trump is so unconventional, but somehow this 70-year-old man understands he's been able to deconstruct the media and reconstruct it as it actually is behaving. And so when these commentators talk about Trump, they act, they, they really just don't understand that Trump is operating in the new paradigm. In a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, Trump is making new rules. And so I heard an interview with Bill Kristol, the great leader of the never Trump movement. (laughs) And (laughs) 
you know, he's talking. To, he was talking to a waitress in Cleveland, who uh, it's funny. She he she was uh, she had two kids, and she said he says apparently she was not married, and so it was being the generous man that he is, and mm-hmm. he talked to her, and she said that she voted for Obama twice, and now she's voting for Trump, and it was a it was sort of this unguarded moment for Crystal, who has devoted like the better part of a year of his life to trying to stop Donald Trump. And there he is talking to a waitress who says, yeah, of course I'm with Trump. I mean, and he's like, (laughs) he basically had to tell Andrea Mitchell, like, I, I, I just, it's like, I'm powerless to change the thing. And she, he described how he drove from Cleveland to Philadelphia and everywhere he stopped, he picked up a newspaper. He thought that Donald Trump's speech was the scariest, darkest, this dystopia, whatever. This, there's this word that the DNC or the Clinton campaign put out, dystopia, which is mm-hmm. the opposite of utopia. I have heard that word so many times. It's almost like – it's like, is this a new Beatles record? This yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. Dystopia. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate that. The uh, he thought it was this horrible, scary speech. Every time he picks up a newspaper to get where he's at a gas station, it says Trump colon Law and Order, Trump colon I will take care of you, Trump colon We need you. It's like I will fix your problems. And he's like, so he's like, wow, <laughs> I'm so out of touch because the Trump speech that I was horrible was actually not horrible. I don't know how this convention is going to play out in its results. <clears throat> but I do know that I do not want to hear any more commentary from Republicans who ran the Mitt Romney campaign or who ran the 2012 Republican convention, which was a boring mm-hmm. nightmare until until Clint Eastwood started talking to a chair. And this it, it's like, who are these people who keep coming on these shows telling me how great the 2012 convention was or how great the 2012 campaign was? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, oh, Donald Trump doesn't know how to run a convention. Really? Because you guys were paid millions and millions of dollars. To, to, I mean, they these consultants took a huge chunk of the probably one and a half billion dollars that Romney and his super PACs raised, and uh, you know, so the results speak for themselves. I will make another point about the Romney campaign: is that I was on I was on the Romney conference call fi- uh, to contributors uh, five days before the election, and somebody slipped me the passcode right, and so I was at Human Events. We put it on speaker. Everybody listened to it, and then we we, we wrote it up. Romney and his pollsters were saying Iowa is in play, Pennsylvania is in play, Michigan's in play. Romney literally told contributors, "We have so many roads to 270. We just don't know which one to take." And I told this to a guy who was working for Carl Rove, and he he looked at me. He says, "Really? Five days before the election?" I said, "Yeah." He goes. Five days before the election, I was drafting a memo for Karl Rove where he would, so that we could explain that this loss was not our fault. And 
when I look at the map today, Doug, Pennsylvania actually is in play. And I've seen polls where Trump is ahead in Pennsylvania. And it's like, it's like you know, Mike Pence is traveling to, uh, traveling to Michigan today. Mike Pence was in Wisconsin last night. The Trump was in Toledo, Ohio last night. You know, it's like this. Yeah, why shouldn't it? I've always thought this, and I thought Pennsylvania, and especially those states in the Midwest, up there, Michigan, Wisconsin, really should be in play for Republicans because the message should resonate with them. But uh, time and time again, we give up on it. Don't go campaign there. Don't try to make any case whatsoever about things. There's so much we have in common where you've got a large Catholic population, people of faith, uh, some of their thoughts about some of the uh, the moral issues of our day, the obviously economics. Sure, there are a lot of union people up there, but uh, Republicans do not necessarily have to be anti-union, even if they're not necessarily in favor of unions. And so, um, well, you know, you can have it both ways in that, in that regard. I, I like the fact that he's really doing a 50-state strategy. He's not writing off any state, California either, for that matter. And he probably will get get beat in California, but at least give it a shot. I don't think Trump is comfortable talking about abortion, but I'm convinced that he had a conversion. Uh, Roger Stone says it was uh, when his, his, his youngest son was born, but I believe that that's sincere. And I also recognize as I watched the campaign that Trump did, did not, Trump did not wage his jihad against lying Ted Cruz until Ted Cruz accused him of being secretly pro-abortion. And that's when Trump flipped out on Cruz. Uh, But I will say uh, he has a very pro-life vice president, Mike Pence, who talks about it all the time. And Trump goes on and on about defending the Second Amendment. Mitt Romney refused to talk. Not only did Mitt Romney refuse to talk about Benghazi, not only did Mitt Romney refuse to talk about Solyndra because he didn't want to he didn't want to offend the environmentalists and all his lefty friends. Mitt Romney wouldn't talk about Fast and Furious. It, it, he wouldn't no, talk I said about this the Second to some, Neil, I said this to somebody the other day who's absolutely anti-Trump. I said, look at this convention that's going on here. These are the things that need to be said. I really do. And I'm not talking about Trump's speech. I'm talking about the other speakers here. These are the things that have been going on for seven and a half years that we just I absolutely will not talk about except in talk radio land, and, and that's it. But the politicians won't. And I said, if there were any other candidate, and that includes, I didn't vote for Trump, but I didn't vote uh, for Cruz either when it came to the primary season. But any other candidate would not have done that, right? Am I right? Even Cruz. I don't, we wouldn't have seen some of those speakers up there. No, and let's be honest. If President Mitt, President Mitt Romney would have signed that amnesty bill, President Mitt Romney would have rolled over we would have had universal background checks. We would have had all sorts of guns banned. And it's like he would have had the press conference with the Brady campaign announcing mm-hmm. it. And so, you know, Trump, for all of his sins, uh, is doing a fantastic job. And he's campaigning in, in states that should have been up for grabs in 2012. But, but Romney wouldn't do it. And then, you know, if Paul Ryan was you know not an exciting guy but he he mm-hmm. is more conservative than than Romney uh Paul Ryan got so frustrated that he started sort of giving his own sort of conservative speeches and in the month before the election the Romney campaign took Ryan off the campaign trail and basically put him to, started sending him to the minor league cities 
And it was like, wow, so crazy. Traditional marriage in Maryland. Traditional marriage was on the ballot in four states. It lost in all four states, but it barely lost in four states. In Maryland, traditional marriage outpolled Mitt Romney by 12 points. That was on the strength of the African-American vote. Romney did the, the best vote that Romney got among African-Americans was in Ohio because the black ministers in Ohio are opposed to gay marriage. And yet Romney refused to go near it. If he had gone near it, he would have been president. He had a guy, Rick Santorum, all of the, all of the sort of working class areas where Trump has been very successful where frankly Obama won in the general election in 2012. Those are all the areas that Rick Santorum did well. Rick Santorum pulled out of the, of the Pennsylvania primary <clears throat> and saved the Romney campaign $4 million. I mean, Santorum, in effect, gave Romney a $4 million campaign contribution and said, I will help you any way I can. My best friend from uh, one of my best friends from college worked on the Santorum campaign and basically said, they told us, we'll call you in November <laughs> to find out if we want you in our administration, but you are on vacation. And so there wow. it is. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to is. see what happens. You know, the uh, L.A. Times USC poll came out this week. Trump was up by seven. Uh, other polls, and you can find them at realclearpolitics.com, uh, had Trump up a few points here or there within the margin of error. There are a couple, like the Economist poll, I think, had Hillary up by five nationwide here. But the battleground states, um, Trump's doing fairly well. And, um, you know, we don't know how what bounce, if any, is going to come out of the Democrat convention. The, the USC-LA Times poll was showing that it was a negative right now for Hillary Clinton. But that was before Obama spoke last night, and Joe Biden, and, uh, you know, and Hillary Clinton speaks tonight. So... Um, there likely will be some, you know, bounce. More people, for some reason, watching the Democrat convention. Do you think it may be because they're they're not on schedule, like the Republicans were? The Republicans got their convention, you know, the the timing of the speeches right on target. They they got out by eleven. Everything was great, but the Democrats are seem like intentionally going longer uh, later in the evening, so the networks are having to stay with them longer for the main uh, main speakers here. Do you think that may be it? I, I'm not really sure. I think that. Um... It could be a function of, you know, people were just sort of tuning in. It's like, oh, there's a convention. Oh, there's a convention. And then having missed the Republican convention, they said, mm -hmm. wow, there was a convention last week. I wasn't even paying attention. Uh, I guess I'll tune into this one. Who knows? I mean, yeah. the Hillary campaign is in a lot of trouble. They're in a lot of trouble, and they know they're in trouble, and which is why – uh, McAuliffe came in the other night and talked about ISIS for the first time. Uh, they're talking about, you know, when you have, when you have democratic consultants on CNN or MSNBC saying, well, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, of course we're addressing uh, trustworthiness because we know that that is one of the, one of the issues that Hillary Clinton has. I'm like, I'm saying, golly, golly, like, you know, no one trusts her. You know yeah. no one likes her, and you're, you're basically stuck with this woman, and they have no choice but to sort of 
drive on forward and you know we'll see what happens but when you have people in Pennsylvania like uh like Senator Casey and N Rendell who are basically saying flat out Pennsylvania is in play mm-hmm. not only is it Pennsylvania so Pennsylvania is in play and Donald Trump goes to Scranton Pennsylvania the hometown of Vice President Biden and is campaigning in Scranton the night of Biden's speech and, 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 you know, the reporters are saying, well, Mr. Trump, you're not supposed to be campaigning uh, the week of the other party's convention. He says, guess what? I'm campaigning. Who cares? <laughs> it's like, this is your stupid rule. Yeah. I am campaigning. And, you know, and you have a guy like, you know, you have Eric Trump. I don't know if you noticed uh, Eric Trump no longer slicks his hair straight back. He's got it kind of to the side, like kind of a Jack Kennedy thing. Well, uh. Eric Trump went to prep school in Pennsylvania, and he is now going to be the surrogate. And so, you're, you know, it's like so you have an Eric Trump who can basically start working the deal in Pennsylvania, and I think it'll work. I think I think people will show up to see Eric Trump, and so, you know, it, it, it all of the signs, all of the signs tell me that Trump is going to win, and then all of the experts are telling me he's going to lose, and. It's like the reasons they come up with are so contorted. It's like, wow, that's kind of, I'm thinking you're going to such crazy acrobatics to explain to me how Hillary Clinton is going to be president of the United States. Yeah, I think I we told all know, you Hillary. You know, three the years, one thing, I think I told you at yeah. least two years ago, there was no way she becomes president, Doug. I told you that flat out. Um, I certainly still hope you're right. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, and this is what does concern me about the Trump campaign, there's really no infrastructure. Maybe through the strength of his personality, he's going to be able to pull this thing off. I'm not here to – I don't make very good political predictions anyway. So I'm not going to say that it won't. But I am concerned, you know, he doesn't have really local offices. He doesn't really have that kind of structure that we're used to. Doesn't mean he can't win, but it is different. That does bother me because I'm used to this. Okay, I'm used to getting – a situation where you got uh, offices of the candidate open everywhere and you got, you know, uh, you got sort of the, the state structure kind of working for you to get the vote out. I am a little concerned about that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's extremely worrying and we cannot, you cannot overemphasize the problem that you had with Corey and Paul Manafort, Corey Landowski and, and, uh, and Paul Manafort, fighting this epic clash of the titans battle for the three months before the convention and it just what it what it meant was that the that the convention was absolutely stalled out and it wasn't until trump saw that the polls were going the wrong way that that he finally let Corey go and it uh you know Corey's very sharp, very intense, a lot of great things that he did during the primary campaign. But he didn't know how to play well with others, and he didn't know how to uh, bring people in. And I remember them one morning when the Trump campaign announced that they hired the the digital outreach team that had worked for Rand Paul, and it was 20 people. 20 people were working for Rand Paul's digital outreach team, and it was like – Rand Paul was like three – it got like it was like three percent in the votes. I mean, Rand Paul did so horribly, and yet he had more people working on his digital outreach um, 
than Donald Trump. And they got to fill these things in quick. And I think the other thing that's going to happen is, and I don't know if this makes sense to you, but I'll just say it, that because so many of the established people and the known names are not involved with Trump, it's giving an opportunity to people you've never heard of mm-hmm. to sort of rise up and step up. And it's, it's literally cleared out an entire generation of Republican consultants and activists and operatives are being swept aside. And all of these people from the Tea Party and other movements who have been boxed out by the Republican leadership are now stepping up and doing things a lot of times on their own. And what you were talking about at the convention is exactly what happened. So all of the sort of all of the old favorites that we had to sort of endure in previous conventions have now been swept aside. And then it's all new faces and people who, frankly, if if this was a conventional convention for the Republicans in, in, in Cleveland, what we would have been saying is, wow, how come it's the same boring people we always deal with? What about her? What about him? And, you know, would the would the heroes of those two guys from Benghazi, would they have gotten the slot if it had been a normal Republican convention? No, that, that was my Absolutely point. Absolutely not. Have. Yeah. We, uh, and if you miss some of those. Republicans don't talk about Benghazi. We don't talk about right. guns. We don't talk That's about. That's supposed to. You know, yeah. Right. No, but I was going to say, if you miss some of those Republican consultants and, and everything, you can still catch them on MSNBC as guests. <laughs> like <laughs> They're Nicole all over Wall. the place. Nicole, Nicole oh, Wall wow. is not on MSNBC. She's like saying, you know, well, I didn't vote for Obama, but, uh, you know, and I'm a Republican, but I thought it was mm-hmm. so amazing and so wonderful, and I was yeah. crying hearing to Obama. I said, really, because you're the girl who was supposed to be working with Sarah Palin, and you torpedoed her. So mm-hmm. that you could, because you were part of the team that was trying to tank McCain, so that Romney could win in 2012. But she never talked about that. No, in fact, I tweeted the other day that I think Nicole Wallace is much more uh, at home and uh, at the Democrat convention coverage than she ever was last week at the Republican convention. It seemed like because she kept saying every night, "This is just not the party I remember. This is not my." Uh, Neil, we're right out of time. Listen, thank you so much for spending uh, the time with us here this morning. We appreciate it. And uh, let me remind people, you can read his writings at Breitbart.com. Neil McKay, Breitbart.com. Neil, thank you again. Take care, Doug. Be good. You too. We'll talk soon. Neil McKay joining us here. And uh, we're right toward the end of the hour. We appreciate you joining us. Don't forget, uh, this will be archived at Blog Talk Radio and also at iDougRadio.com. And our podcast can be subscribed to at iTunes. Just uh, one of the ways that you can uh, uh, hear the uh, the programs as we air these from time to time. Uh, also, you can email me, idugradio at aol.com. And you can follow me on Twitter to get my news feed. It's the only unedited way, really, to get information to you directly uh, is through Twitter because uh, Facebook, you never know. Uh, you post something, it doesn't get to every one of your friends on Facebook. I don't know if you knew that, but that's the case, uh, or it may show up way days later. But if you want to get it in real time and unedited, it's the only way to do it is via Twitter or one of the other outlets. But uh, Twitter seems to be the one that most people are using at this point. Okay, that's it for our program today. Thank you so much for joining us here on this edition of iDoug Radio.